Turn in your Bible to John chapter 4. John the fourth chapter. John chapter 4. I had planned to preach on the subject, Who is your father? But I felt impressed this morning to speak from this subject. John 4, 14. John chapter 4, verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And if you hold your finger there and look at John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, whom they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. May we pray. Our Father, we thank thee for all that we have experienced this morning, and the wonderful songs. Now the word of God, open our hearts to hear from heaven. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work of conviction and conversion and comfort and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Perhaps the reason... There's so much barrenness in our lives and so much poverty, spiritual, pro spiritual poverty, is because we're not really very hungry. And one reason that a lot of the church of Jesus Christ does not stay in perennial revival is because we, the things of God get old to us. We come all the time, Jonathan, don't do that anymore, all right? warned you a while ago. Things of God get old to us and we don't listen and we don't have our hearts attuned spiritually to the things of God. Jesus said, if you're hungry and you're thirsty after righteousness, you'll be filled. There's so little revival today. There's not much of a felt need. The prime prerequisite for revival in our time is hunger and thirst. Now that's a, a guaranteed promise of the Lord. Whosoever is hungry, I'll fill you. Whosoever is thirsty, I'll give you to drink. Now the Lord said that. And the reason we don't see great revival is because we don't get very hungry. We're used to the status quo. We're accustomed to having things like they are, and like they have been. And we're satisfied. In order for there to be a great revival, there has to be a divine discontent. Somebody who feels in his heart that God wants to do something, and that one person is willing to pay a price to have that. That was true with Evan Roberts in the early part of the 1900s. He lived in Wales. He got hungry for revival. He waited before the Lord and he asked God to do something unusual. And all of Wales was electrified with spiritual power. Now before that, the churches were half empty. Not very many people were coming to Christ. 
Christians were disinterested. But as a result of the hunger of Evan Roberts, there came revival. James McGrady felt that same hunger in the first part of the 1800s. A few days ago, the senior high division of the Anchorage School went down to the Red River Meeting House near Russellville. And we sat in that church and we walked around the grounds of that place, saw the old cemetery, and heard the story of how the Christian movement in America was at a low ebb. There was not much concern spiritually. Atheism and agnosticism were making inroads. The moral climate was low. And then God gave James McGrady a hunger for revival. He went down to that Red River meeting house that still stands. First day that he was there, there were not very many people. First few days, not very many people. But he just preached. He preached the Word of God. And God began to move in. And after a while, that little meeting house that would only seat 40 or 50 people became so packed and jammed they had to move outside of the meeting house. And thousands began to come. And there was such a mighty revival movement, the first camp meeting in Christendom originated right there in 1801. And the reason it originated is the people came to the revival and they were so hungry for the things of God and the Word of God that when the night service was over, they decided they wanted more. And they stood around and prayed. And then there was more preaching. And finally, when they got tired, they decided to just sleep on the grounds and have another service in the morning. And this began to develop until the camp meeting started. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people that came in and filled all of that area. The reason is because they were hungry and thirsty after righteousness. How hungry are you for the things of God? Dr. Lee used to preach at Bellevue in Memphis. He said more than once, what we really ought to do at our church is to close the doors and bar the windows for six months and not have any service. And then when we opened the service again, the place would be jammed and packed with people hungry to hear the word of God. And he said, instead of passing these little tiny offering plates around, the deacons would have to get wheelbarrows and bring them down the aisles to receive the offerings of the people of God because they were hungry and thirsty after righteousness. Now Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The prime prerequisite for revival is threefold. Number one, a confession of our need. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God said to Solomon, right at the time they were dedicating the temple to the Lord, it was a time of great spiritual strength. There was a 4,000-piece orchestra. They offered huge sacrifices. There were thousands of people that came to the dedication. And God said, Solomon, there may come a time in the temple worship when the people will not be as hungry as they are now. Maybe the people will not be godly like they are now. Maybe there will be a declension spiritually. Now, Solomon, if that ever happens, here's what you're to do. If my people, 
which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven I will forgive their sin I will heal their land if you do four things I'll do three the Lord says if you will humble yourself turn from your wicked ways seek my face pray then I'll hear from heaven I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land one of the greatest blessings that could come to God's people today is for us to humble ourselves we dare not ask God to humble us he knows how to do it but oh that we might humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord sometimes that involves kneeling before him that's not the only way to humble oneself and sometimes we can humble ourselves sometimes we can kneel and not be humble humility is a posture of the heart not the body it has to do with the heart coming and saying God I do not deserve your mercies I do not deserve anything you're giving to me I am pauper stricken I am in trouble I am in dire need of something that only God can give and when God's people humble themselves the Lord will hear we need to humble ourselves before the Lord today remember that humility is a posture of the heart everyone within the sound of my voice right this moment can just reach out and say Lord I humble myself in your sight I know I am a sinner I know I do not deserve any of the mercies of God I think of Jacob who had been a supplanter and a deceiver and he had uh, cheated his brother out of his birthright he'd gone away and for 20 years was gone he came back wealthy and then the word came you're going to meet your brother out on the way Esau is coming this way and Jacob knew that Esau hated him and the Bible says that Jacob humbled himself before Esau and the night before he met Esau he humbled himself before God and he said oh God I am not worthy the least of thy mercies that was the humility of his heart the next day when he met Esau he offered Esau all kinds of blessings and gifts and a, a, a spirit of apology and, and humility and there was a patching up of that old grief between Esau and Jacob at least there was for that time I was in a revival meeting in Alabama several years ago and during the first part of that meeting there was not much going on not very many people came to the Lord not very many rededications sort of cold services we went through the second week and on Monday night of the second week I do not remember what I preached I think the preaching didn't have much to do with it but the Holy Spirit was there there were some people I learned later that were hungry for revival during the invitation a man came from over on this side he came down to the front and said something to the preacher and then he they knelt and prayed a little bit and then he got up and went over here and he found a man over here and he put his arms around him and I saw them talk for a little while and then they cried together and they both came down and knelt at the altar the pastor interrupted the invitation he said this is a man who came a while ago and he said there's a man here 
that I've had something in my heart against for a number of years. I've scarcely spoken to him. And I went back and asked him to forgive me while ago. He had wronged me, but I asked him to forgive me for having that wrong in my heart and holding it against him. And he said he reached out and together we have patched that up. We've humbled ourselves in God's presence. And God has forgiven us. We started the invitation again and five people got saved. Now ladies and gentlemen, when my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. Elijah prayed and God answered by fire. Baalism was about to take over the land and Elijah just prayed and God brought fire down from heaven. David prayed. He had sinned against God. A despicable crime, not only against Bathsheba, but he had had Uriah put at the front of the battle and killed. And then he had covered it all up. And then Nathan came to visit him and said, Thou art the man. And David's heart smote him. And the Bible says he humbled himself and he prayed and God forgave him. Hezekiah was sick unto death. God said, Isaiah, you go tell Hezekiah he's going to die and not live. Set his house in order. He did that. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. And he cried before God. And he humbled himself and prayed. And God said to Isaiah before he got out of the palace, you go back and say to Hezekiah, I've seen your tears. I've heard your prayer. I'm adding 15 years to your life. Daniel was in trouble down in Babylon. The king had dreamed a dream and couldn't even remember what he dreamed. And Daniel and all the wise men of Babylon were going to die because they couldn't interpret the dream. And Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach and Abednego spread this all before the Lord. And they prayed. And God gave Daniel the dream and he went back and said to the king, here's what you dreamed and here's what it means. And that glorious interpretation took us clear out to the end of the age. Because Daniel prayed. Nehemiah was building the walls of Jerusalem after they'd been torn down by the Babylonians. Sunballad and Tobiah and some others were against him and they had all kinds of criticism. They said all kinds of mean, ugly, honorary things against him. And Nehemiah prayed. And God turned back the enmity and the ridicule of those mean men, Sanballat and Tobiah, and the temple walls were built and the gates of Jerusalem were repaired. David Brainerd prayed. Now, David Brainerd wanted to get the message of God through to the Indians, but he didn't know the Indian dialect. But he just prayed, Lord, save those Indians. I want to be used by God to get through to the Indians. And God let David Brainerd meet a drunk, alcoholic Indian. And that alcoholic Indian stayed half drunk all the time, knew a little bit of English, and he knew the Indian language. And David Brainerd asked him if he would go with him back to the village. And this half drunk Indian went with David Brainerd. And David Brainerd preached the glorious gospel to those Indians through a drunk Indian. And many of those Indians got saved. 
because David Brainerd prayed. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. What sins do we need to confess to God? Well, we could catalog a lot of sins. We read in the Sunday school lesson today about a woman who was taken in adultery and they dragged her to Jesus and they said, Moses said she ought to be stoned. What do you say? And the Lord stooped down and rolled in the sand. They all disappeared and he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus did not condone that sin, but he forgave it. And he did not condemn the sinner. Sometimes you and I who are Christians are pretty hard on people who have weaknesses in their lives, alcohol, other kinds of sins. We look down our noses at them. Somebody has a baby out of wedlock. The Lord never condones those things, but neither does he condemn the sinner. As long as there is a repentant heart and somebody who comes to God and says, Lord, forgive me. One of the greatest sins among Christians today is the sin of prayerlessness. We fail to pray. We just don't pray. When something happens, we say, well, I guess that would have happened anyway. We fail to remember that there are some people who do pray and we need to be prayer warriors. Another one of our great sins is the sin of holding grudges, lack of forgiveness. We need to open our hearts to God and let God deal with us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Did you know it's wicked not to read the Bible? Do you know it's wicked to talk in church, write notes in church? Do you know that? When I got saved, before I got saved, I used to go to sleep in church. I was a young boy, like, like a lot of kids do. Now, I could never bring a little pad of paper and write notes. My mother would never let me do that. Sometimes she was sick and wasn't able to go to church. And I'd sit by old Dr. W. O. Carver, who taught at the seminary in Louisville. And of course, he wouldn't let me write notes either. I don't understand these people bringing folks so their kids can sit there and draw and all that kind of thing. I never was allowed to do that. But anyway, when I got saved, I asked the Lord to never let me go to church and sleep in church again. I was a young boy. Sometimes I've gotten sleepy, had to pinch myself, but I've tried to never go to sleep in church again. Disattention to the things of the, of the Word of God, that's a sin. And we need to repent of all this thing, these things, little things that seem to be so insignificant and get our minds trained on the things of God. Now if I were preaching in a prison, I might preach about some of their sins. Right now I'm talking to some folks that go to church pretty regularly. I'm talking to some folks maybe have some areas in your life where there are some sins and you've never confessed them to God, you've never acknowledged them, never asked Him to cleanse you. He'll do that for you if you ask Him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
Turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land. We need to confess our need. Number two, if we're going to have revival, if we're going to say, Lord, I'm hungry for revival, then we need to have compassion. In Psalm 126, 5 and 6, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Doubtless come again with rejoicing. There has to be compassion in our lives, a care about others. Fanny Crosby, who was the blind songwriter, went to a rescue mission one night and she saw an old derelict come in and heard the message of the Lord and God changed his life that night. She went home and late in the night she couldn't get away from that scene at the old mission. And she wrote these words, Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that are broken will vibrate once more. You and I, if we have a compassionate heart that reaches out after others and draws them to Christ, God will bless that. That leads to revival. Dr. Deems was pastor of the Church of the Strangers in New York City. They built a great big building. And then they had the dedication service. Dr. Deems said at that dedication hour, if all the money and time and talents and plans and so on that have gone into the building of this, this building should result in just one soul being saved. It would be worth it all. Some of the officers of the church came by and said, Dr. Deems, didn't you stretch it a little bit when you said for all the money and time and talents and plans that have gone into building this building would result in just one soul being saved? Dr. Deems said, no, I didn't overstate it. If that one person were my boy, it would be worth it all. And we need to think of the lost as people who are kin to us, people we love, people we know, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, mother, daddy, somebody dear to us. We'll never reach lost people until we have compassion and love them. And compassion and love is not natural for us. We have to ask God for it. You say, but how can I love people like I ought to love them? How can I have compassion? How can I care? Ask God. And God will give it to you. Dr. George W. Truett was pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas for nearly 50 years. He got sick near the end of that time. He was in the hospital. One night a nurse came into the hospital room and they saw Dr. Truett. He had gotten out of bed and he was over by the hospital window. He had his arms stretched out down across the city. He could look across and see Dallas, the place where he had preached for nearly 50 years. And he was, had his arms out toward the window. And he was crying, Oh Dallas, oh Dallas, oh Dallas, who will weep for you when I'm gone? George Truett had a tear in his voice every time he preached. I want to ask you tonight, who, today, who weeps over Bowling Green? Who weeps over this city? Who weeps over your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister or your son or your daughter, somebody that cares? Do we weep over the city? Do we really care? Or is it business as usual? Do we just go about the work 
And we say, well, it's Sunday, I'll go to church. But I can't come back on Sunday night because I've got other business to take care of. Do we really care? Do we have a revival spirit in our hearts that we reach out after the lost and draw them to Jesus? Dr. Gibson won me to the Lord many years ago. He was pastor of Walnut Street Church in Louisville. I was driving through Arkansas the other day and remembered that he was born in Hope, Arkansas, and the road went right by Hope, and I went down and looked all across that little town where he'd grown up. When Dr. Gibson first came to Walnut Street Church in Louisville, he asked the deacons for a list of the shut-ins. They gave him the list, and he began to visit all the shut-ins. He came to a lady named Mrs. Allen. Mrs. Allen had been once the pianist in the church, been a Sunday school teacher, been active in all the work, been there every service, and now she was a shut-in, not able to go. Dr. Gibson said to Mrs. Allen, you are now ready to do the greatest work you've ever done in our church. Oh, she said, Dr. Gibson, don't joke with me. Don't jest with me. She said, I can't do anything. I can't even go to the services. Dr. Gibson said, Ms. Allen, you're now prepared to do the greatest work you've ever done. If you'll promise me to be a prayer warrior. And every time I get up to preach on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, will you pray? When I get up to preach at 8 o'clock on Sunday night, will you pray? And just pray all through that hour and ask God to do something at Walnut Street. Well, Ms. Allen said, I'll do that. I may not be able to go to church. I may not be able to teach a Sunday school class. I may not be able to play the piano, but I can pray. Dr. Gibson st stayed at that church 22 years. In all of those years, there were only two Sundays when somebody did not walk down the aisle confessing Christ as Savior. And he said later, the real reason was not the preaching. The real reason was Ms. Allen holding the place up before God in prayer. Folks, when we have the kind of compassion that prays, and when it prays, it lifts before God the burdens. God will answer. There's one more ingredient, one more thing that I want to mention, and that is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. There'd be no revival without conviction. Jesus said in John 16, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is the convictor. He knows who needs the Lord. And if we will ask him to guide us, he'll guide us. One day Roger, one time Roger and I were in a revival meeting over in Owensboro. We stayed at a, at a hotel and uh, went, had breakfast in a certain restaurant every morning. And uh, Roger and I have always enjoyed fellowshipping together and being together. And so we went into this restaurant for breakfast that morning and, and a whole gang of men came in. You know how some of these restaurants are. They come in, drink coffee and so on. And they just filled this table over there and just were sitting there drinking their coffee and, and they were telling all kinds of jokes. They were cussing and swearing and talking dirty. So Roger and I decided, well, if they can do that for the devil, we can sing for Jesus. So Roger and I just started singing right there at that table, right in the restaurant, in harmony, down at the cross and so on. And we just sang and sang. And do you know what happened? 
Pretty soon there was silence over there. One by one, all those people that had been talk, talking all like that got up and left the restroom. That evening, we had the revival service, and we, after the service, we weren't sleepy, and we drove around the town for a while. It was back in the days when the trains were running, and Roger and I both grew up as sort of railroad kids, and we liked trains. And we decided that, and discerned later the Lord was guiding us to do this, we decided to go to the railroad station. So we went over to the train station, went in there, and there were two or three people sitting around waiting to catch a train. And the ticket agent was there. So we just walked up to the ticket agent, made acquaintance with him, told him about our father, talked with him a little while. And then we just asked him, Sir, are you a Christian? And tears came to his eyes. He said, no, I'm not, but I'd sure like to be. Man. And that night, standing just about 10 minutes, that ticket agent at the, church, at, the, at the ticket office in Owensboro gave his heart to Christ. He said, for a long time I've wanted to become a Christian. But I've never had a Christian talk to me about it. And I thought of those men that morning who were talking about all kinds of things, and some of them were church members and Christians, and they'd walked out when we sang. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit knows who is lost, where to lead us, and what to say. I've told you this before, but I like to tell it. Years ago, I was coming out of the hospital, and... Uh, the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, you ought to speak to that man that's over there. He was sweeping, the, it was up at the old hospital on Hospital Hill. He said, you need to speak to that man about his soul. I was in a hurry to go to an appointment I had, and I said, Lord, I'm here often, and I'll speak to him later. Went to get in my car, and the Lord said again, you need to speak to him about his need for Jesus. And so I turned around and went back and said, spoke to him a few moments, and got acquainted with him, told him my name. And then I asked him, sir, are you a Christian? Well, he said, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, you know you're saved, yes. Been born again, yes. He said, I appreciate getting to talk to you. I had a word of prayer with him when I got in my car, and I said, Lord, that's sort of strange that you would tell me to do that. Maybe I misunderstood you. I drove on to my appointment. Later that afternoon, I was out making some visits I drove by a certain house, and the Holy Spirit said, you ought to go in here and talk to this man in this house. So I drove in the driveway. I'd never been there before. Didn't know who lived there. Had no idea about who it was. Knocked on the door, and a girl came to the door. She said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes. Well, she said, come in. We've been expecting you. Well, I went in, and uh, she said, Daddy, and she called her daddy from out in the kitchen, and he came in, and he saw me. He said, you're a preacher, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. He said, I'm so glad you came. He said, I want you to tell me how to get to heaven. Man. And he broke down in tears. We got down an old hassock in that house and prayed, and I showed him from the Bible how to be saved, and he gave his heart to Christ. We got up from our knees. And I, said, I said, my name is Richard Oldham. I don't believe I know who you are. He told me his name. He said, uh, I said, how did, you know, how did you know that I was going to be here? How, did you, how come you say you've been looking for me? 
Well, he said early this morning, I prayed that God would send somebody to me today to tell me how to be saved, how to get rid of my guilt. I learned that that man was one of the bankers in Bowling Green. He later joined another church. But he got saved that day. He's now in heaven. Now, friend, the Holy Spirit knows who the lost people are. He knows where they are. He knows what their need is. And if we'll just plug into him and say, Lord, I want a revival in my heart. And I want the Holy Spirit to be in charge of my life. He'll guide us. He'll guide us. But there has to be somebody hungry enough to say, Lord, use me. Use me. May we pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you have never received Christ as your Savior, God loves you. He wants to live in your life. He wants to be your personal Savior. But you have to open the door from the inside. There's no doorknob on the outside. Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anybody. But he woos and draws you. And the reason you're even here today is because God's Holy Spirit drew you. Would you right now where you sit invite Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior? And if you're a Christian, is there somebody here today who would say, Lord, please use me. Use me to bring someone to Christ. I want to be used by God. Would you say that to the Lord? Our Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will touch hearts and draw them to Christ. May there be victory in Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. What page? 242. Number 242. Would you turn to that song and then look this way just a moment? 242. This is God's invitation. It isn't mine. It is the Lord's invitation. It is the church's invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And friend, if you're without Jesus today, you've never been saved, I want to invite you to come to Christ today just like you are. Ask Jesus to save you. Ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to forgive you. And friend, if you sense in your heart a desire for revival, you'd like to be a revival Christian. You'd like to say, Lord, use me. Just tell him that right where you stand. He may lead you to come make it public. Do what God tells you to do. If your membership is in some other church and God wants you here at this church, I want to urge you to come today. Don't put it off, but come. Let Christ have his way with you. While we sing, will you step out for Christ?